Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Garforth Education Podcast. My name is Dr. Catherine Garforth, and I'm very excited to be here to talk about executive functions in episode 10. Now, executive functions just happen to be one of my favorite topics at the moment, because I think they really give us a deeper understanding of ways that we can support an individual who is struggling. And now that individual can be anyone. It could be your parents. It could be uh, a child, a friend. Recognizing that executive functions play such an influential role in day-to-day living helps us understand other people's behavior and our own behavior as well as what we can do to support them in these situations. Now, before I do a deep dive into executive functions, I usually like to give people, you know, a couple ideas of what uh, it might look like. So can you think of someone that struggles to remember what they read, or maybe you are reading something, but you're not really paying attention? And you can't remember what you just read. You know you read the words, but it's just not there. Or what about when it's difficult completing instructions that have multiple steps? This could be when, you know, someone's giving you, okay, first I want you to turn left uh, to the stoplight, and then you drive to this road, turn right. And the more instructions that you are given, the more difficult it is, especially if you are trying to drive doing this in an unfamiliar area. And maybe it's it's hard driving because there's a lot of drivers on the road. Some of them might be defensive and it might be rush hour. These are activities that are actually quite taxing on our executive functions. Other things are you know, students who struggle to answer word problems uh, in their textbooks or um, in mathematics, or if you are a teacher, to having students talking out of turn, or maybe they raise their hand and put out the answer, or by the time that you get them to them, they forgot what they're going to say. Other areas are individuals who struggle organizing things when it comes to maybe their home, their office, their desk, or even getting steps organized for a project. There's also the analysis paralysis that many of us are familiar with, meaning that when you're trying to do something, you're too concerned about all the details and just have such a hard time taking that first deep dive into understanding what you need to do to start the process. Individuals who struggle with executive functions do struggle to also control their emotions and their behavior because the skills that they need to control them are not working in the moment. can also mean that an individual is timeline and they are absolutely oblivious to how much time is going by because it's not something that they're able to actively be aware of while paying attention to the task at hand. This particularly happens to people when they're in the zone of one of their favorite activities because they're just enjoying it so much and in the moment that the the minutes on the clock just fly by. And 
they're also the individuals that, you know, try as they may, they can't figure out a way to create a plan and follow through with it. As I mentioned, if any of these sound familiar, it's recognizing that these are individuals who are struggling with executive functions, whether it's in the moment or generally speaking. Now, executive functions are the skills that are sometimes referred to as cognitive skills, executive skills, and they are the brain-based skills that we are actually genetically pre-wired to develop. Now, this is something where um, over time, the human brain has developed to have areas dedicated for the development of these skills. However, they only develop if an individual is put into an environment that supports the proper development of executive functioning skills. There is the potential to have too much of a certain skill, and that can cause just as many problems as too little. And as I talk my way through this episode, I'm hoping to highlight how that comes into play. So what we need to remember is that executive functions are pre-wired. They are biologically primary processes that humans have developed the skills over time to develop these and individuals have the potential to develop them from birth. If we look at uh, you know, an individual's lifespan in the, the first, you know, five years, that's when we're laying the foundations for them, some of these basic skills. And when we go to our well baby checkups or well child checkups, uh, many pediatricians or general practitioners will get parents to fill out a form asking them different questions. And several of these are actually looking at some of the early precursors for some of the executive functioning development. Now, some of these things are having, you know, a baby being able to sustain their intention on an object or for a toddler to be able to follow, you know, one or two step direction. These are having them use some of the, what are considered the lower level executive functions. These are the ones that are first to develop. And as we get older, hopefully they get better and better. What I do want to mention right off the bat is that everybody's executive function development pathway looks different. And the executive functions an individual uses in a situation will be based on their strengths and weaknesses of the skills. And individuals have different abilities in these areas. So we need to recognize the strengths and weaknesses. We also need to recognize that individuals who have neurodiversities also struggle with the development of some of these executive functions. And depending on the, the difficulty, 
it may be an over or an underdevelopment of these skills that is affecting their ability to do certain tasks. So we need to be able to find supports to put in place to help support them for the development of these executive functions and also to help compensate for areas that they struggle in. So the development of executive functions is crucial for daily life because it plays a big role in our ability to be successful in several of life's activities, such as, you know, succeeding at school, being ready for different situations, having positive social relationships, being able to live healthily and have a good emotional state of mind or being having a good sense of well-being. I want to go over the three primary executive functions that research is pretty consistent on agreeing on. Executive functions are something that we know exist, but it's still relatively new to the field of research. And depending on the professional or the expert that you ask, you're going to come back with different answers into the number of executive functions that exist. But typically, the three that I'm going to be focusing on in today's discussion, working memory, inhibitory control, and cognitive flexibility, these three are generally agreed upon. So the framework that I like to talk about executive functions are classifying them into higher level executive functions and lower level executive functions. Now, those three I just mentioned are the lower level executive functions, and they begin their development at birth. Now, the higher level executive functions are ones that take different aspects of working memory, inhibitory control, and cognitive flexibility to go into another skill. When we look at the higher level executive functions, these are ones that start to develop in those teen years and continue to develop into early adulthood. Executive functions are thought to be housed in the prefrontal cortex of the brain, and that's the last to fully develop. So we do have executive functions developing in our early 20s. And unfortunately, these are skills that start to lessen over time. And as individuals get older, when we start to see dementia and other issues come into play, that's when we start to lose some of them. So let's take a closer look at each of these lower level executive functions. The first one being working memory. Now, working memory is not short-term memory and it's not long-term memory. It's the place that's in between that allows us to take information and use it. It kind of acts like our brain's mental scratch pad so that we can use information in the moment and not worry about having to remember it long-term. 
But it also is that store that as we're reading information or as we're learning information, we take it, we manipulate it and decide how to store it in our long-term memory if it's important and needed. So some practical examples of using working memory would be when you are looking at a phone number and dialing it or whether you are trying to copy something off a blackboard or as you're reading, consolidating the information that you've meant and taking it from what you've known or what you've just learned to what you are learning. Working memory does require support from inhibitory control so that we can make sure that we're holding on to the most relevant information at the time that we are needing it and that we are able to let it go when we don't need it anymore. We need to recognize that working memory has a finite capacity. It's not unlimited. Now, with younger individuals, they can only hold on to one or two things at a time. And as we get older and in those teenage years, the ability is expanded. And in a, a typical adult range could be anywhere from three to seven pieces of information that can be held in work and memory at one time. Now, unfortunately, it's very hard to work to improve working memory. You kind of have what you have and you can use strategies to try and help support holding that information in your mind by actively using it. But you need to recognize that it's not going to drastically change uh, once you're an adult. Unfortunately, it's, it's going to get lesser. But when I think about working memory, I like to think about the slots. And you only have so many slots available. Now, the more familiar you are with material, the easier it is to remember. And there's no coincidence that phone numbers were originally, or er, uh, you know, more recently, seven digits. So you had seven digits to dial. Uh, but now with the increase in popularity of cellular phones, we, we've added an additional three digits. So it's a 10 digit dialing, at least in North America. And that's because it's it was easy for us or easy for us to remember it. And, you know, the chunking that we do when we say a phone number, um, for example, you know, 778-778-7788, the way that that is said uh, can help chunk it. Now, that inhibitory control really helps support us, but we also need to recognize that individuals who struggle with it may be focusing on the wrong pieces of information and struggling to hold on the important facts. When we are working with younger individuals, they are typically gonna go to what's important to them, not necessarily what's important to the moment. So recognizing and teaching them how to highlight. Now this can be done with scaffolding and trying to support them during their development of working memory. 
there are individuals who are neurodiverse who do have cognitive impairments and their working memory is affected. Now, this can range from anything from individuals with ADHD who just aren't able to hold the pieces of memory and get or pieces of information in their memory because they get distracted or individuals who have cognitive impairments and it's just not something that they can do. Now, there are different types of working memory depending on who you speak to. For some people, it's easy to remember, easier to remember numbers than words or pictures than words, uh, words than letters. This is all information that we need to consider when we are working with individuals and that's why it is very important to have multiple things available. So when you are working in a classroom, not just giving the instructions orally, you also make sure that they're written down so that individuals who struggle with working memory have the ability to go back and refer to them in the future. Working memory, along with its partner, inhibitory control, are the ones that form the basis of our other executive functions. Inhibitory control allows us to control our thoughts, feelings, emotion, and attention. Now, sometimes this is referred to as cognitive control, and it requires working memory for us to maintain our goal in mind remember directions, and knowing what we are trying to not pay attention to. So this could be when you are walking down the street, making sure that you're paying attention to the route you're supposed to follow instead of looking at the birds fly by and the car that are driving the noises. It allows you to filter those out and focus on the task at hand. Now, inhibitory control is one that individuals with ADHD struggle with. It is, they have a very difficult time controlling the urge or the ability to do something. Now, whether that, if it's an individual with ADHD, hyperactive, inattentive, presentation, then it is someone who is struggling to control their movement as well as their focus. There are individuals that are have the ADHD primarily hyperactive presentation. So it's very hard, hard for them to sit still, but they, they have an easier time controlling their thoughts. Whereas the ones who are predominantly inattentive, they can sit still, but it's paying attention that's more difficult. Inhibitory control is something that does develop over time and in situations that are new to us, it can be harder because it's if it's a novel situation, there are so many things to take in at once and it's hard to maintain your focus. But as you become familiar with the things around you, it is easier to focus because ideally it's not driving your attention here, there, and everywhere. When we are doing work, whether it's at school or in the office, it means that we're able to focus on the task at hand and use the information that we need to 
to complete the task that we are working towards. Now, both inhibitory control and cognitive and sorry and working memory are needed to be in place in order for the third lower level executive function to work. And that is cognitive flexibility. It's what allows you to shift between different tasks, consider different perspectives, and adapt to changing demands. These are essential when we're looking at efficiency, ability to adapt and take in, and have those meaningful social relationships because instead of dealing with a toddler who's only who's very egocentric because they're only thinking about their self in the the moment having the cognitive flexibility and the skills that are required for cognitive flexibility that develop as an individual progresses through childhood means that you're able to stop and take a moment think about the the bigger picture or or the greater good um you know thinking about oh when i hit someone it upsets them so even though i really feel like hitting them i'm i'm really angry at this situation i'm frustrated i am going to use my inhibitory control to stop doing that because i know it's against the rules i know it's not allowed and i know the other person's not going to feel well I also recognize that I'm going to get in trouble and I don't want to get in trouble. So we can see how cognitive flexibility can come into play when we're speaking behaviorally, but it also comes into play when we're speaking academically too, when it comes to learning how to read, sounding out words, especially in a language like English, where we have multiple phonemes or multiple sounds being represented by the same letter. And we have to be flexible to see, figure out whether the A in the word is saying A, A, or A. Is it cape, cap, or cop, right? Developing this skill and the ability to do so takes time and requires effort on the individual and compassion on the person working with them. Cognitive flexibility also comes into when our understanding of a situation that we are reading, recognizing that when we're reading a story, not everybody that is in the story or the characters in the book has the same information as us as the readers. And that's where we see humor, and uh, tricky situations. But for some individuals, it's really hard to grasp that concept. Individuals who have autism spectrum disorder struggle with cognitive flexibility, and it makes it very difficult for them to consider other people's um, feelings and opinions and switch between tasks. Recognizing that both Working memory and cognitive, sorry, and inhibitory uh, control influence cognitive flexibility allows us to recognize how we can help provide supports for individuals who are struggling with them and give them what they need. 
Now, these three lower level executive functions that the vast majority of scholars agree upon are needed in different aspects to form those higher order or higher level executive functions because we need those skills of working memory, inhibitory control, and cognitive flexibility to develop so that we can use a little bit of this and a little bit of that to develop other skills. Now, these higher level executive functions have their most rapid development in the teen years and in early adulthood. So anything that we can do to help support them is essential. Scaffolding the supports isn't just going to help them in the moment, but it's going to help them long-term in life. Some of these higher order executive functions include things like planning, organizing, problem solving, monitoring what's happening, managing your time, starting a task, and paying attention. When we look at an individual and consider how their working memory developed, whether they have a large working memory or a small working memory, their ability to use their inhibitory control, as well as their cognitive flexibility. These three lower level executive functions all come into play when we're asking an individual to develop and use their higher order executive functioning. When we're planning something, we need to be able to recognize everything that needs to be done in the situation. We need to be able to use our inhibitory control to filter out the things that actually aren't essential, even though they would be a nicety. And we need to use our cognitive flexibility to adjust as needed when we're actually implementing the plan, just in case things don't go exactly as we are hoping. These other higher order executive functions all have that same need for the various different lower level executive functions. Now, there is another way of classifying executive functions that I don't want to get into too much detail here, and that's referring to them as hot and cool executive functions. And that is recognizing that there are individuals who in an academic setting where emotions aren't involved in the equation are able to do some of these higher, over, higher order executive functions extremely well. But in real life, when they are dealing with individuals and emotion in this setting, situation, they are not able to employ these same skills that they can do so well when emotion isn't involved. Now, that is when we're talking about hot and cold executive functions and recognizing that individuals can do very, very well in one situation, but struggle in another. This is the reason why I find executive functions to be so fascinating, because when I am working with clients, 
even though I, I typically work on the academic side of things, understanding how executive functions come into play to support the individual really deepens my ability to support them. I also know that as a parent, when I have my parenting hat on, I, I do try my best to make sure I consider these various features when dealing with uh, problem situations, understanding that in the moment of you know a heated argument or debate, the individual isn't able to employ the strategies that they need to succeed. So we need to make sure that we have scaffolds or supports in place to help them achieve their goal. Now, I do want to emphasize that executive functions are skills that are still in development during the elementary and high school years and even into the college years of individuals uh, head out to post-secondary in their early 20s. We need to respect the range of levels that are in our classrooms and our environments for an individual's executive functioning development and recognize the supports that we need to have in place to help the optimal development of executive functions and recognize what we need to do when an individual struggles with these skills especially when it comes to learning and problem-solving behavior. Now, that was really just a quick overview of executive functions. And I, I recognize that I couldn't go into anything in any real detail. But if you're wanting to learn more, I have created a course called Executive Functions Explained. And it does go into executive functions the research and what you can do in practice in more detail. I spend more time looking at each of the lower level executive functions, as well as discussing higher order executive functions and the supports and scaffolds that we can put into place to support individuals who struggle with executive function. This course is one that I designed to support both educators and parents as they are dealing with individuals who struggle with executive functioning development and recognizing that when we look through issues and problems through an executive functioning lens, we can have a little bit more of a sympathetic view as well as recognizing that there are things that we can do to help achieve success in the situation. Thank you for joining me today. And please make sure you take the time to follow Garforth Education on social media. Like, share, comment, subscribe, and ask questions so I know what to feature in upcoming episodes and to get this Garforth Education podcast out there. Next week on December 4th, I am going to be doing the live recording of episode 11, which 
is discussing how reading isn't a one-size-fits-all model. I think this is a very important discussion to have because learning to read is a complex process that involves helping the brain repurpose itself and develop skills that weren't pre-wired into it in order for an individual to become a fluent reader who can understand what they're reading. The focus of the episode is discussing how we can teach using differentiated instruction in a classroom in order to make sure that all the students are getting their educational needs met and moving away from that one-size-fits-all approach to teaching reading. I hope you enjoyed this episode and look forward to talking with you on the next one. Have a great day.